Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affect all of us in and out of the ACB community. Well, good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on which side of the country you may be listening or joining this program on. It is the last Sunday before convention actually starts, and I am so excited. First, for the show that I'm bringing you today, we're going to talk a little bit with Judy and Jeff from California about their journey and stepping on the path to the future. In the spotlight, we'll be talking with Maria Kristich, who may or may not hold the record for how many actual treasurer positions one can hold simultaneously. And then in my happening segment, we will be having a frank, open, and honest conversation with Claire Stanley about (laughs) the Affordable Cares Act and what may or may not be happening with that, as well as what we can expect going forward from the CARES Act. Before I dive into congratulating and celebrating with California, just a little bit of housekeeping, you can still register to actually participate in the convention. Registration will open back up on July 2nd. You'll be given Zoom links for all of the events and discussions, panels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you've heard all the amazing things that we're doing and you didn't get a chance to register (laughs) registration opens back up on july 2nd and if you would like to join my program today and you have any questions for judy or jeff maria or you'd like to participate in the conversation with claire stanley later the zoom link is available all over the place it's on the leadership and radio lists it is also directly on my facebook page as well as the brand new ACB community page. So you can grab the links on any of those locations and join us. We definitely love and welcome our questions and comments and our returning callers. So with the housekeeping done, I can throw the broom under the bed and I can sit back, put a smile on my face and say, welcome to my first guest. I have Judy Wilkinson and Jeff from California, who are here to celebrate the fact that they took their convention and went virtual as well, right before national. They also held elections, which a lot of affiliate states and national actually couldn't do because of charter and bylaws. So let's dive right in. Judy, Jeff, welcome for and thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. So I will be ending my presidency in just three days, and Jeff is our current immediate past president, but he is also our convention program chair. Yes, and we're going to dive into right into a little more than four months ago, you guys were planning, as was every affiliate and national, you guys were planning for an in-person convention. Of course, the pandemic, COVID-19 happened. 
And everybody was left for a moment going, humana, humana, wah. And then, of course, the decisions were made to bring things to a virtual level. Can you, uh, can you guys enlighten me a little about what the discussions around that look like and, and how you came to the decision to go virtual and bring it to ACB Radio? Well, Anthony, let me give you just a little bit of history. California sure. has been planning for alternative conventions for over five years now. We had a resolution back in 2015 to start examining possibilities for alternative ways to hold convention. And uh, we did that over a couple of years and uh, it came to the conclusion that until we had a better phone system, Zoom wasn't readily quite available then, we wouldn't further the discussion. Fast forward to the time when we were updating our bylaws. We totally revamped our bylaws. We have no constitution now in California. We have bylaws. And one of our bylaws said we will allow for the possibility of elastic convention, meaning that it could be held anywhere, anytime. Uh, We still had rules. You had to have three-fourths of the delegates there. You had to have uh, 50 members, but we, uh, in our bylaws, we allowed for an elastic convention. We had also tinkered with holding multiple, uh, a one-day event in multiple locations, which quite frankly was turning out to be a big headache because instead of one hotel and one set of meals to deal with, we were all of a sudden having three locations and the possibility, but we were desperately trying to find ways for our members to participate in convention in an alternative method. Well, obviously, we were that was all well and good, and we did have the elastic clause, meaning we could do anything in a convention when, as you say, the, the, the pandemic occurred and we had to cancel our hotel uh, reservation for this year and start planning the Zoom convention. And I'm going to let Jeff sort of take it over from there as he was our event planning chair. Come on down, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff has himself m- muted on his end. I'm unable to mute him from, from mine. Jeff, if you don't pick up real fast, I'm going to take over. He was unmuted. We did have him talking. Well, spoken like a Madam President. Go on. <laughs> Fill in for well, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, boy, I, I got to tell you, we, we had a lot of that happening last weekend. So we, we switched over. We uh, our, our wonderful member, Rob Turner, took over sort of our whole Zoom uh, uh, profile because he had helped us set up our Zoom account. We we adopted Zoom in early 2018 as an affiliate and started holding all our meetings. But this was a big step up, and we have got to say we've had so much help from uh, Deb Cook Lewis, uh, particularly, and and uh, the crew at ACB handling Zoom. They 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 helped us immensely. We had a practice. Uh, call so that we could operate smoothly. So we started to figure out, okay, what do we do? First of all, how do we manage a convention in the first place? Well, that was relatively easy. We set up four uh, sessions, two on Friday, two on last Saturday. We wanted to keep it very simple. We didn't have a lot of breakout rooms. We didn't have a lot of other fancy things going on. We knew the biggest thing facing us, and Jeff, if you do come on, you know, interrupt me, we did have the biggest problem with how are we going to vote? And everybody was wondering that. Now, we know that uh, GDUI has managed voting, uh, individual voting for a number of years. We felt that was a very costly way for us to go and that we really didn't, couldn't go that route this year. 
So we did work out and it took hours. Jeff wrote voting guidelines and he and our first now first vice president, Sarah Harris, uh, and incoming president Gabe Griffith worked on these convention rules. And for the first time ever, we, by the way, had convention rules to adopt. We had never done that before either. So we were working on voting rules, convention rules. What we actually worked out for voting was a system where people would have two phone numbers to call and our office staff, our, uh, our one employee and our contract employee each had a burner cell phone and they were ready to answer the phone. You could text in your vote or you could call it in. Um, and Jeff was in the office with them relaying messages so that they, you know, we could tell how fast the voting was going. We didn't know how it was all going to work out. But we divided our, we, by the way, we had 216 people sign, officially register for this convention, more than we've ever had register for any convention ever uh, in recent memory. Um, and, and we often had well over 100 people on the call. And on voting morning, which was last Saturday morning, to say, we didn't quite know how it was going to go, but we divided the, you know, the alphabet into groups of 25. So A and B voted first and then C and D and then E through H and so forth. We did have two, two contested board elections. So we voted twice. Uh, hindsight says that next time we will probably have one phone number for those voting for candidate A and one phone number for those voting for candidate B. We were concerned if there were three people voting, however, but it did turn out to be a bit confusing having two phone numbers. One, sometimes Jeff would have to say, those of you who are calling the blank, blank, blank number, you should call the other one because it's not being used very much. The second, you know, number wasn't being used. But suffice to say, uh, we, we did our delegate call in, in uh, an alphabetical order and everybody heard the delegates. And then we went to this individual system and we knew that people might have to fall off the call. In other, um, we might have to fall off. I'm sorry, my phone rang. Uh, I'm back people might have, Ah, good. Why don't you, I'm, I'm, finally, I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle of okay, talking about voting. I'll just finish this then. Okay, so we voted, uh, you know, we, Jeff was keeping us moving along. We had originally have, had planned another event, like we would talk about kitchen gadgets and stuff in case people got bored. But we finally just realized that it was, it was really important for us to manage to hold the election. And we answered a bunch of questions in between time and got a lot of issues that people had concerns about and had had for a long time. It was just wonderful to chat with our members while voting was going on. And then Jeff would alert us, you know, when it was time to move on to the next set of people voting. And then in the end, we, we gave time, a few more minutes for anybody who hadn't been able to vote under their letters. And of course, people jumped in ahead of time and forgot that if their last name began with P, they shouldn't vote under A or B. But we took votes whenever they came in. And of course, our staff had the membership roster. So as soon as you texted your name and who you were voting for, or as soon as you called in, they could check you off against the membership rosters. So uh, it went very, we felt it went very well. And, um, and say it took almost two hours for us to hold, well, maybe two and a half hours for us to hold two elections. And that's slow. So, you know, next time, if when we come to do this again, we'll work on ways to speed it up. But we felt that for the, you know, for the first time voting, we worked out a way for people to be as anonymous as they could. Our burner phones were wiped clean as soon as the elections were held so that no one's voting, you know, was stored anywhere. We felt, and, you know, our members know, know our staff, and um, we felt that we made the voting as secure as we could 
without having individual, you know, phone voting for each member. Um, and and Jeff, do you want to say? Yeah, just a few things. Um, first, the the you know, as Judy pointed out, we had two elections. The second one took no more than half as long as the first one. People understood the system, you know, and the second time they voted, the individual votes went like clockwork. I couldn't believe how fast we were done. So I think that only goes to show that there was a learning curve, not only for us uh, as people who were conducting the election, but the voters as well. Um, People, I don't think, stayed on the phone as long. Um, you know, and they got right in and right out and it, it was done pretty quickly. The other thing is that, um, you know, th- there were a few people who were, um, concerned that we were using staff people or our staff to, you know, uh, tabulate the individual votes. But mm-hmm. personally, I think it was much better that we did have people with who, who knew the organization, who knew about the membership rosters, who uh, had enough experience with us um, that they could, that we could explain it to them ahead of time. I think the, 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 uh, the vote was kept very secret. Um, I don't know how anybody voted, um, e- even me, and I was standing there, you know, sort of monitoring it, but I don't know the individuals, how they voted any more than anybody, you know, anywhere else in the state did. did. Um, and I think it was, you know, conducted very well. Um, and I, I think that, you know, I, I'm not going to say necessarily that system would work for ACB, although I could construct a way that it might. But I, I certainly do think as someone who has had the, at times, an enviable um, mission of chairing the Voting Rights Task Force since, since Mitch appointed me to it, uh, that it's only going to continue the debate. Um, we've, had people in AC, we've had people in ACB that have wanted, you know, remote voting for, um, oh gosh, you know, 10 years uh, or more. Or more, probably more like 15. So let me dive in here and ask sure. you, in terms of, of numbers, you, were you on par? Did you exceed past uh, past voting numbers? What what um what did that look like? Um, I would say about normal. I, I, I don't have the actual figures from prior couple of years, but I think it's pretty close to normal. Would you agree with oh, that, yeah. Judy? If nothing, maybe even a little, little higher. Maybe, certainly not rem- lower. Absolutely. Certainly not lower. I remember a couple of um. Wow, it seems like I could say a couple of months back, but really, in essence, it was not. It was just a couple of weeks ago. You were on, um, you know, my brother and in ACB's Radio Land show, and you were discussing the plan for voting on uh, Tuesday topics. And I thought, wow, okay, good. I'm I'm glad somebody's I'm glad somebody's tackling this. And you know, the state of California is is huge. It's a huge affiliate. Um, you know, and if you guys can do it, then that will open up the model for you know other states, of course. But you know, for your discussion national nationally on you know changing those those uh, bylaws that may you know prevent that type of, of voting from happening and of course to open it up for remote voting even when we are holding in-person conventions 
So an absolute kudos and congratulations to, you know, tweaking the system that you came up with and making it all work. And if I could, I'm sorry, if I could just say yeah, one more thing, we will never go back to a totally, even if we go back, when we go back to an in-person convention, we now know we will hold a, a component where other members who can't make it in person will have a vehicle for participating. And, you know, we got, you know, we had to do this. I don't know that if we hadn't had this uh, absolute necessity, whether we would have moved this quickly, but having done it, we now realize it is doable and that we really can manage a, a secondary component to any kind of convention. Absolutely. Jeff, you, um, Judy, told us that you were convention chairperson. So when, when this, you know, when this discussion started, what, what expectations did you have and, and how did you, how did you look at what you've always done for in person and say, well, what can we what can we transfer over and what do we have to leave sort of on the carpet? Well, the one major thing that we left on the carpet was we knew that it would be tough to have as long a convention as we normally do. Our convention normally starts Thursday and ends Sunday morning, noon, Sunday noon. And we knew that was just going to be really hard to organize. So the, the, the the big uh what could have been losers in that were the special interest affiliates who we couldn't include in our regular convention sessions however we encouraged and they did hold their own sessions most of which were before the convention we got them all up on the website some did social things some did you know more substantive things and so the special interest affiliates who could have come out of this feeling a little bit irritated and, and frustrated, I think by and large felt good about it as well. And that's really important because we don't want to leave, you know, we, we don't have the same, we don't have the same freedom to incorporate everything that, that ACB did. It just wouldn't have worked that easily. Maybe in the future we can, I don't know, but it was just too big of a project for us to take on at that time. But with the special interest affiliates having the, their chance to have their own meetings, I think it worked out um, well. Um, we, other than that, most, we had to, you know, cut down a little bit on our convention sessions, but mainly we did almost all of what we were going to do um, in terms of our general sessions. Uh, so I think we were able to piece it together. You know, it's, it's often easier to get people that when they don't have to travel, as I'm sure the you and, and the organizers of ACB are finding, uh, than it is when they do. So it was pretty easy to line up all the folks that we already were talking to in terms of having them attend uh, our convention and be part of it. So that wasn't really a problem. We got our door prizes uh, handled. Um, we used a random number generator, so we were able to do that virtually. Uh, and I think people liked that. I didn't like it because I didn't win a door prize. But <laughs> all those people that did, they thought it was great. Judy did. I did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so I think primarily, and I think that even with the voting, most people that I have talked to were um, reasonably happy with the outcome. They know it, it was a little bit clunky. And, you know, it could have been handled a little faster. Um, but but even learning the Zoom lessons we learned with the individual votes, 
I think all of it is a learning experience. And uh, as I started to say before, I think it's only going to um, have an impact here and elsewhere. And, and I think, as Judy said, whatever we do next year, there will certainly be a hue and cry for those who are not attending to be able to vote. Can I just say Ju- something else about, oh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say something about, I was just going to say something more. In a way, you know, yes, we usually have our convention Thursday through Sunday, and we pack in a board meeting, nominating committee, credentials committee. But it, in some ways, this did uh, linger out because on June 1st, we had our first timers meeting. A couple of days later, later we had the credentials meeting, all, you know, all via Zoom and all, all sent out. The nominating committee, only the Zoom link was sent to members of the nominating committee. They met a week before our convention on the 10th of June, and uh, we announced the results from the nominating committee right away so people would know who the slate was. And then, as Jeff said, we had all these special interest affiliates with their meetings spread throughout June. So in a way, it was spread out more, but we got things in. And I'm happy to say the things that we didn't get in, we were going to have a sort of a um, an affiliate roundup where affiliates were going to get a chance to talk about you know, what they do and so forth. And we were going to have sort of our kitchen gadgets fun while we were voting. Those two events are still planned and will be held in the next, you know, a little while so that we do finally end up having all the pieces, even though they're, they're spread out somewhat more. We will have gotten in, I think, all the pieces. And frankly, in some ways, spreading it out a little bit more instead of having to rush here and rush there. I mean, for the first time I got to attend all the affiliate meetings, which I never would have gotten to do, you know, if they were like the guide dogs meet at the same time as the transportation committee at the same time as the library mm-hmm. users. So we were, you know, we were, it's an, as, as, as my, I, my little pres- presidential message at the beginning of the program said, it's an ill wind, you know, that blows no good. And since we had lemons, we were going to make a lot of lemonade. So the one area where I think we could improve is, the, is, is, is dissemination of our program. This time it only got disseminated electronically. We, I never got it properly recorded. Uh, we never got it properly in Braille or large print. So one of the things we're going to want to look at uh, next year when we do this again is better dissemination of the actual program. But part of that was time, uh, of course, the time because we had it happening so late that we didn't get it put together. But two other well, things I mean, that and were, part of the world start, you know, most of the world's shut down, and you know, when things yeah. started rerunning, the time constraint probably was just too, um, o- you know, overwhelming to actually get that, you know, and, and cost I, have, it. I just have to add one thing: we a huge shout out to Vanda Pharmaceuticals who came through and gave us a very generous sponsorship. Um, that was another area that declined terribly was uh, w- the ability to get to get sponsors. We weren't successful yeah. particularly to get convention sponsors, but Vanda came through as they always have for us for the past four years. Two other quick things that I know Sarah Harris, our incoming first vice president, would cashier me if I didn't uh, mention. Um, she and I are co-chairs of our resolutions committee, and we had the biggest, resol- we always have open committee meetings, but we're lucky if we have five or six other people that attend, right? We had our biggest resolutions committee hearings in terms of numbers of uh, outside uh, members that I've that we've ever had. And the same is true of our, um, uh, and, and Sarah is chair of this committee, co-chair, of our um, 
bylaws committee, we had, not only did we have as big a meeting, far bigger than we would ever have had at conventions, but because of the conversations that we had at that meeting, we actually um, created a situation where two bylaws that would have created a lot of debate were withdrawn. So we gained really a lot of time that might have been, I'm not going to say wasted, but would have been uh, that our utilization was much better doing it at the committee level with a lot of members participating than it would have been at convention when we were under time constraints anyway. So these having these meetings may become um, something that we continue to do ahead of time and not at the convention because it does enable you to have far better participation. Well, I, I absolutely, I applaud the success of, you know, and I was lurking around both pre and during and post, well, trip three, lurking around, you know, to see what, you know, what was accomplished and what people were saying about it and how they felt about it. And there was, you know, there was definitely a lot of positive feedback that came from California's convention. And so I I really congratulate also you guys talking about, I don't want to call them the misses, but the learned opportunities that you encountered and, you know, the fact that you readily are stating them, you know, across across national concerns is because the show is open to anybody in ACB or anybody that actually listens to ACB radio. So coming on and candidly talking about that, I also congratulate you for that. Um, I am going to play the, you know, big sister versus little sister thing and, and ask, you know, did you attend Florida's convention virtually and, and did you feel any sort of pressure having seen what and how they were doing it? And did you learn anything from what what they had done? I actually didn't get to listen to much of it. Um, uh, I really want to hear the whole uh, president's thing. Um, they, I did see their, their you know, programming and, and I did, I, I, you know, I thought, wow, this is pretty amazing. Um, but because I wasn't able to listen to much, I didn't, I can't say I really learned uh, as much as I probably would have if I had listened. What, what we definitely learned is that they should have done the president's thing much later on in the day so that everybody could enjoy that. Eight o'clock in the morning was um, harsh, even for those of us in Florida. <laughs> but um, well, we, I, um, I didn't listen either, but I had been on a call with Paul Edwards and uh, Sheila Young on a Tuesday topics. So I heard a lot from the two of them on that show about what Florida was planning. And that you know did certainly help my thinking. Um, but I too did not listen to so much. My, the, our pres—I don't know what you mean. But, oh, the president's thing when they had all the past presidents. And yes, yes, if you're going to have a key panel, don't do it at eight o'clock in the morning. And that's why we were—you know—we began our first session early afternoon on Friday. Had really three key presentations Friday afternoon while people were fresh. Friday evening, um, Cindy Hollis joined us as our keynote and um, did a fabulous job. And then people had to listen to me for 40 minutes uh, and Jeff for another 20. And Jeff did a great job of keeping people awake after I'd put them to sleep. And, uh, and so our, fr- and, and our Friday session always has remembrance of people we've lost during the past year. So we tried to keep the sessions uh, lively. And Saturday afternoon, we not only had our you know, the rest of our business stuff, but we had our virtual uh, banquet presentation. So we had our, we wound up so people would keep interested with our awards ceremony Saturday afternoon. 
Well, two of our biggest state affiliates, the sister one being Florida, of course, are currently led by strong, well-respected, forward-thinking women. I know that you have a couple more days to, you know, kind of crack the president's whip and you are handing Mm -hmm. that over to Gabe. Um, What what about your presidency are you most proud of? And um, what are you looking forward to in the new leadership for California? Well, I I couldn't be prouder of our officers. Um, I I think my biggest accomplishment was keeping the doors open. Frankly, Um, we we faced some pretty dire financial situations, and and my speech was very candid about areas in which we did not succeed. Um, But I did I feel bridge the gap between sort of the older generation, our our incoming president and first vice president are around forty. And so I feel that I am thrilled to be passing uh, the gavel, the torch to the, the younger generation. And I think if nothing else, I, I was a bridge for four years uh, that kept the organization going. No one, you know, I was the one who stepped up in 2016 to run um, and, and, you know, no one else, you know, was there, frankly. And I feel very proud of the fact that I've held the organization, you know, together. And I, I'm a very outspoken and I am a strong presence and uh, my board would tease me a lot about, I forget to have motions because I think I should just be an autocrat, but um, uh, I'm very, you know, I'm very proud of, of, of the, of the past four years. And, you know, the point being that just lays the ground for the fabulous sort of next geners coming up behind us with us now. So I'll give you another thing that I think Judy should get some credit for, but she won't get very much, but she deserves it. Um, We have the potential in a grant that we've gotten to hire up to 10 interns, blind people from throughout our state, to work on an an uh, energy-related grant in terms of talking about time of use um, you know, peak times being tough, being where you don't want to use as much energy. I won't go into the details, but the, the main point is we have a chance um, for the first time in, in really um, 25 years to make a huge impact on employment of our people, our members and non-members alike. And, um, and not only is that important in the short term, but if we succeed and we do it right, um, it, it could lead to us being able to do similar things like that in the future. And that's what we're all about is, you know, what's what's more important than employment? So well, that's um, and Judy's the one that laid the groundwork for that. So I, I want to I don't know how it'll work out, but we really have an opportunity to do something that for our members. Everybody in listener land, I really hope that you are um, applauding right now because that that is actually something that that will carry through in so many legacy areas. You know, giving the opportunity for employment and you know, and the fact that if the partnership when the partnership is successful, it may open doors for other avenues like that. Kudos, 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 kudos! Congratulations! That absolutely does deserve a round of applause. Tell us a little bit, either one of you, about the incoming board, the incoming new uh, elected officers. So I think, um, as Judy already pointed out, I'm very optimistic. Um, 
not only about the incoming board, but we've had board calls where we've had, you know, 30 non-board members on the call and um, or more. And so we have a, a you know, our, our president and first vice president, uh, as well as our treasurer are all, you know, in the 40 range in terms of age. Um, and so that, that, as well as several of our board members. Um, and I think that will provide for innovation and new thinking and new leadership. And every organization has to have that. And so I am extremely um, optimistic for the first time um, in a while about uh, CCB, the fact that we are, we under Judy's leadership, have turned the corner, and I think we are going to be heading in a very positive direction in, in the years to come. Madam President, that was he actually answered the question I was going to ask after, but could you give ACB at large um, your thoughts on, you mentioned, you know, the next gen, and you mentioned the youthful energy that California is now capitalizing on. Could you give me a few words about that and then actually introduce uh, the new offices, the new, newly elected officers, excuse me? I'd be, I'd be delighted to. I had a conversation, by the way, Gabe uh, would have been with us this morning, but he is active in his church and was leading a Zoom meeting for the youth, I think, the youth group this morning. So he, he sends his regrets and, and would, be, would have been here if he could. I had Quite a conversation. Yes. I had a conversation with Gabe on Friday afternoon. We have been talking. We've, we've been joking that wireless caller calls me every Sunday evening. And I've been, I, I feel very uh, good about the fact that I have been involving Gabe more and more for the past year and a half. I mean, I knew the transition was going to be short if we had a June convention and he had to take office on July 1st. So he has taken on more and more responsibility over these, this past year and a half stepped up in every way that I've asked him. He was bubbling Friday afternoon, just burbling and bubbling with excitement about, oh, you know, new committees he's thinking of and, and, and work he wants to, that he's eager to, to deal with. He and Sarah, our first vice president, have an incredibly good working, they're texting fools. They just, uh, they're in touch all the time. And I'm so excited. Um, I feel so relieved, frankly, with them coming on. Our new board is, is we, <laughs> we brought on Guillermo Robles and, and Larry Gassman. Uh, I'm sure these names are familiar nationwide. They and, are. Uh, and uh, Jeff, uh, moving out of the immediate past presidency, we couldn't quite let, let Jeff go. So he has a board seat so that he can further bring along the, the institutional memory and, and guidance. And um, so, you know, we have that and we uh, reelected Frank Welty. Uh, we have, we've always had jokes about how we didn't have Southern California represented enough. That weren't jokes. Our, our Southern California people, uh, this was a deep concern. We now really have a fabulous representation uh, from the South part of our state and these new Board members are just amazing. We, uh, you know, we will have, Gabe is really dedicated to the notion of furthering an idea that I brought on earlier about having liaisons between board members and chapters. And he's really now ready to move forward with that so that we have good connections between our board and our chapters. 
Um, he plans to make sure every board member has uh, meaningful activity. Uh, a special shout out to our incredible treasurer, Lisa Presley Thomas, who's been ever since she was a little girl under the table, you know, in the hospitality room at age three, her dad would tuck her under the table and there she'd be at everybody's feet. And she would take the guide dogs out, she and her sister, and they'd, they'd raise a little money. And most of it they gave right back little donors that they, you know, have become. And so they grew up a, a CCB kids. She is now our, our treasurer. Um, wow. So as I say, we have a fa I think we have a, I, I, I'm very excited about our board. Well, as listeners to the show know, I like to have a little fun with my guests before we let them go. And thank you so much for introducing the board, talking about elections, and uh, really, again, a big round of congratulations. You guys definitely pulled off a great virtual convention. So now let's have a little fun. I'm going to throw out a couple of questions, and if you can go one by one and answer them. In no particular order, but and in no particular importance. The first question being, now that it's all said and done, how are you going to reward yourselves for a job well done? <laughs> I'd like to say I'm going to listen to some sports, but that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be some baseball soon, but not nah, right now. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Texas, Florida, and Arizona, nah. Judy? Well, I'm... Uh I, I, I love to read and I love music and um, I'm going to go back to studying Beethoven string quartets and uh, symphonies and uh, uh, I love the uh, teaching companies music courses and I'm going to study those. I have already dived into a fantasy novel. Paul Edwards is always recommending stuff for me to read and uh, uh, and I, I, I was an English professor, so I'm an avid reader. So I plan to read even more and get even more knitting done. And maybe even my husband is begging me, please make me some shakes and, and put them in the free refrigerator for me. And so I plan to get back in the kitchen a little more, um, basically doing some of the things that I just haven't had time to do. Uh, and, and, and I'm going to go to seize candy. I, I gave presidents gifts of a couple of boxes of seize candy, and I'm going to reward myself with a big box of seize candy. <laughs> All right. So outgoing immediate past president, incoming immediate past president. And, um, what, what advice did Jeff give you when you were becoming president? And then Jeff, what advice are you going to impart now that she's the immediate, about to be the immediate past president. One of the first leadership conferences I attended after the first, when I was first president, Jeff appeared to talk about how, what do you pass on to board members? And he said to, to all of us in the room, you treat your immediate past president like gold because there's <laughs> such, a, such a repository of information and I like to think uh, I have treated Jeff like gold. I never forgot that. And I do not know. Uh, I cannot emphasize enough when transferring authority, the, the importance of the immediate past president. You don't just disappear into the sunset. You're there for the incoming organization. And I, I don't have a better role model than Jeff. Well, I, I appreciate those kind words. I'm not sure that's the case. <laughs> but. But I think the toughest thing about being immediate past president, um, and in in Judy's case, it was made a little easier because if 
if I disagreed with her, she would let me say my piece. She might not agree with what I had to say, but she let me say it. And she was, you know, always good about, okay, that's, now you, I'm going to listen to you. Um, it's, you know, you have two roles, it seems to me. You have the role of giving that behind the scenes guidance because you don't want to come out and, and sort of be like the loyal opposition and always fighting against your president. And then every once in a while, though, if something is, you know, serious enough, you do have to take a position and you have to determine when something is so serious that you have to, um, you know, essentially do battle against the president. Like I didn't very often vote the other way, but one time we had a debate on where to place our office and I did go against the president and then and my side won by one vote. It was one of the closest votes we ever had. But it's very, it's not an easy thing to, because you, you, you want to further the president's agenda. And that's really an important role of the immediate past president. And so you have to be very careful about, you know, taking public positions that op- oppose the president. So that's, uh, I don't know if that's great advice, but that, that I found that to be the toughest thing about that particular role. All right. Judy, did you have a comment? No. Uh, I, you know, Jeff and I did often disagree, but I like to think we were very collegial. We were. So often in organizations like ours, little um, nicknames or pet names will come up from membership or fellow board members or such and such. One can each one of you share a nickname or a pet name about the other, and what's the gen the genesis of that nickname? And let's go backwards, Jeff. Let's start with you. What is what is Judy's nickname? I don't know that you had one, or at least I would never heard it. <laughs> Judy, is there one for Jeff? No, no, Jeff is been you know he was president for eight years from 2002 to 2010 and again from 2014 to 2016 uh, frankly jeff is so revered i'm not sure anyone would give him a nickname <laughs> okay well that's absolutely respectable um last question just you know you you mentioned music and jeff you mentioned wanting to do sports if you could if you could adopt an initiative into california and or national about some sort of recreation for our members what what would you what and how would you want to adopt that well i, I think i would like it to be some sort of fitness challenge uh, uh, i don't know the details of how it would work but i mean there should be prizes um, there should be minimum goals. I, I think that, you know, maybe even for different age ranges, but I think that that would be an awesome thing for uh, an awful lot of, of us who are seeing And an awesome start with that. And an awesome start with that, of course, is the Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, which I hope everybody listening is participating in. Judy, how about you? What would you, well, the what kind of recreation? The Californios are definitely going to be in that walk. Well, I'm That's going to right. do a little shameless advertising here. Um, Please, California, is, California is getting close to um, uh, selling uh, to, to all of our community two little mini treadmills. We're working with a company called On The Move, and I have always believed in fitness for blind folks. And uh, and we are going to be selling this little mini treadmill, and you'll be hearing a lot more about it in the next 
two to three months. Awesome. So we'll look forward to that, Judy. You're going to have to come back and tell us more about it. When I will. I will. And there's more details to share. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you guys so much for joining us today. And I'm going to ask Caleb, has anyone, there's been some technical glitches behind the scenes why I announced the way I did the beginning this morning. Some of the lists were down and, and we weren't even sure if Sunday edition was going to be up and running for today. Um, but I want to ask Caleb if there's anyone with hands raised for questions for Judy or Jeff. Uh, there are not currently. No. All right. Um, so I want, to thank, <laughs> I want to thank you guys so much for joining me today and for celebrating both your new board and the very, 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 very successful California of the Blind Virtual Convention, a second step on the path to the future. <laughs> yeah. Any final remarks that either one of you want to make? Oh, thanks very much. Glad we're, to be here. We really are. And we hope we, people listen to your replays. And Anthony, this is a fine show. And we really congratulate you on your efforts. Thank you so much. All right. So I will be back momentarily with probably the person who holds the record for the most amount of treasurer positions, Maria Christich, right after these few messages. Sunday edition is underwritten by Ira. A description of life. On your terms, IRA is a visual interpreting service provided by trained agents through a smartphone app available in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Or call our customer care team at 1-800-835-1934. Do you remember BPI? Oh yeah, Blind LGBT Pride International. They're a special interest affiliate of ACB. Yes, they are the ones doing all these cool things at convention. Guess what they're up to now? Do tell. Their own show. It's called Pride Connection. That's great, but what if I'm not a part of the LGBT community? This is a show for everyone. Actually, non-LGBT and non-disabled folks are known as allies, and they are a huge portion of BPI's membership. Everyone is welcome. So what kinds of topics can I expect from Pride Connection? Fun and relevant topics for everyone, from blindness to LGBT education, technology to advocacy. So when will Pride Connection take place? Every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to tune in so we can all connect and learn while having fun. Pride Connection on, on ACB Radio Mainstream. Hello, David Trot, Treasurer of the American Council of the Blind. It's uh, great to be talking to you. I'd like to talk to you about a couple of programs I've got coming up. The MMS program, which you can join now and be eligible for gifts this summer. And the Braille Forum Raffle. And I always look forward to talking to you. Remember, my email address is my name, David Trot, no dots, no spaces, at charter.net. Thank you. And welcome back to Sunday edition in that commercial break. You heard, of course, a promo for Pride Connection and just a quick shout out to Pride Connection tonight at seven is the replay with a dynamic new member, Laura Hilbert. It's a conversation that shouldn't be missed. He works on Capitol Hill and left his native land at 17, knowing just about 10 words of English and 
brought himself to America. If you want to hear more about his story, it is replaying tonight at 7 p.m. on ACB Radio Mainstream. And on Tuesday, we'll be having a conversation with the first ever transgender city council person in the state of West Virginia and possibly in the United States. We're not sure about that, but uh, Rosemary Ketchum is a dynamic personality and that conversation should not be missed. It'll broadcast on a Tuesday at 10 p.m. and replayed throughout the week. And also, my next guest in the spotlight is currently and will be reelected, I am sure, <laughs> the treasurer of Blind Pride International. And as I mentioned in the previous segment, she may very well hold the record for how many treasurer positions one can hold in a organization <laughs> like ours. <laughs> welcome, 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 Maria. Maria Christich. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming. I've wanted to interview you on air for a while now, but the jumping, uh, jump-starting a show like this, there are so many people that you kind of have to get to. So I'm so glad that we are finally having Maria in the spotlight. Maria, can you tell us a little bit about your journey in life and your journey to ACB at large? Then we'll jump into those uh, pesky facts and figures that you have to deal with. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I, uh, I'm originally from Bosnia. I came uh, here to U.S. in uh, 1993 and uh, so essentially had my education here. I was uh, I turned five a couple of months after we came. So uh, I came with my family and so I had all of my elementary uh, school and onward uh, in, in U.S. in a small town in New York. Um, I was the first blind student at my uh, elementary school and then middle school and high school and uh, had a TVI who was blind. And that really, I think, helped in terms of not only having supportive parents, but also having someone who was blind who could, you know, answer, start to answer all of those questions about how things were done in alternate ways. Um, I, when uh, I had my first, let's see, I got my first bra braille and such has always been very um, important to me and um I'd, I'd gotten my first computer or actually type of internet capable device um, at the end of my uh, eighth grade year when I got a, a braille note and then got my first computer um, starting in, in high school. And so really from there, I met a lot of other uh, blind people through internet mailing lists. And that also helped in having questions answered. You know, how do you know the blind person when the water is boiling? And, you know, how about uh, knowing the, the colors of clothing and labeling things and just all the um, different daily living things that we all go through and, and technology questions and such. And um, so I, uh, after high school, um, I, so I hadn't, you know, been in, formally involved in either of the blindness organizations, but I had gotten exposed to both of them uh, through different mailing lists and such and uh, receiving their publications, um, but I hadn't really been interested to join and um, went through college, um, did my undergrad in economics and then my graduate uh, work in had my uh, MBA with finance focus and JD with a uh, finance transactions, which is a business law focus. And, um, and then, uh, and, and now I'm a uh, 
a senior financial analyst with uh, the Dormitory Authority of the State of New York. And so in that uh, intervening time in between when I finished uh, grad school and when I started my job, so this would have been around uh, 2016, you know, I really started, I was I was kind of looking for that, you know, connection. I wasn't really doing as much in, in that gap year. I had some time and, you know, I thought to myself, well, let me look, you know, what, which, let me look at the different, the two organizations and, you know, see really what resonates with me more. Um, you know, I'd heard other people's perceptions, you know, in environments, for instance, when I went to get my guide dog in 2011, you know, there were people from both organizations that um, at the school I went to, which is Leader Dog and uh, Leader Dogs for the Blind in Michigan. And, you know, but again, I'd heard, you know, kind of outside perceptions, but hadn't really, you know, formed my own. And so I um, did some research into, into both of them. And, um, you know, really the, uh, the, uh, emphasis on collaboration and negotiation with an ACB and, and the flexibility, the, you know, allowing of different points of view and being actually opening and, and welcoming to different points of view on um, the, you know, strong uh, foundation in, you know, democracy, having, you know, term limits for officers and such, bring a diversity of, you know, perspectives um, that really spoke to me. And, um, you know, in terms of, and then we can uh, dive into it a bit more, but in terms of my first actual involvement and in how I joined ACB, I didn't actually join at large. The first affiliate that I had joined was the uh, GDUI affiliate, the guide dog users, uh, special interest affiliate, because I knew as a guide dog user, that was something that I was very passionate about and interested in. I'd heard through on the GDUI website, some of their convention presentations. And, you know, I felt that I, um, that I wanted to, you know, meet other guide dog users and find out what was going on in the in that space of guide dog advocacy. What were, you know, some of the current issues I, I had experienced a few access denials myself, but you know, wanted to find out what was going on in the uh, larger community. And um, so, you know, I, I didn't initially, you know, join thinking, oh, let's let me see what you know I can do. But I think that you know, kind of just started. A, I had the the gap year, and I think you know, volunteering is a really important aspect uh, in the the job search. That you're able to answer that interview question of what have you been doing in the meantime with something more than just I was looking for a job and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, but you know I think my initial that wasn't you know my initial my initial uh, you know uh, reasoning was just to you know connect and um, you know find that sense of uh, community and, and get involved with that advocacy but um, you know as, as time went by it kind of you know turned into okay how can I you know use my skills to assist the organization or, you know, how can I learn new things from this as well? Well, you know, famous last words never <laughs> broadcast that you have a, you know, you have multiple degrees in finance in a nonprofit organization. <laughs> you, you not only volunteered, but pretty rapidly became part of leadership in various affiliates, of course, guide dog users. Um, what you know? What was the path like from volunteer to sitting on the board and counting all the beans and making sure they're deposited in the slots they need to be deposited in? Yeah. Um. So yeah, you know, it actually kind of happened pretty quickly, and I think you know it was a combination of I felt that I needed to take some initiative because here I was, this unknown person. You know, I hadn't really had formal connections with. You know, no one invited me in or anything. I was just this unknown person who you know, dropped from the sky one day and, you know, who the, the email showed up into, you know, the, the membership uh, email for GDY, this person j joined and, you know, they don't know me from the next, you know, average person on the street.
reach. So um, I, and I think it was a combination of that. And then just, um, you know, the way that the universe works with, you know, certain people uh, deciding to, you know, take a, a chance um, on me and it going from there. So, you know, with, um, with GDUI, um, I had um, actually I had had some, as I mentioned, kind of informal prior to this um, with GDI when I was looking at guide dog schools. I had looked at the handbook that they had published about the guide dog lifestyle and that had helped me and as had uh, the the school surveys and such on their website. And so, you know, when I thought to myself, okay, well, what can I do? I looked on the website and saw there was a finance committee. And so I sent um, an email to the chair of that committee explaining my background and why I was interested and such and asking if there were opportunities. And um, she wrote back saying, well, you know, that's a board committee. So, you know, that's not something that you can do at this time. But based on your background, here are these other skills. And so I had joined the, the bylaws committee, again, with that legal aspect of my background. And then, you know, she chaired the products committee as well, which chooses the products that we sell um, at convention. And so I became a part of that. And then I also became a part. She's president of Guide Dog Users of New York, our uh, GDY's New York affiliate. And so she invited me uh, uh, to, to check that out and such as well. And so, um, you know, I think just, um, you know, the fact that I was, you know, enthusiastic about the topics and participated in meetings and such um, allowed people to kind of get to know me a bit. And then so, uh, you know, my name now, I was on, you know, a couple of committees and then, you know, someone nominated me for secretary of guide dog users of New York. And so, you know, I was kind of already starting to build up a little bit of a rapport. And so then I decided, well, you know, if the what it takes to be on this finance committee where I think I can, you know, add value is to be on the board. Well, let me run on the board and let me run to the board um, for the board. Excuse me. And so, um, so, you know, I did, I filled out application and um, I got, you know, elected to that. And then it kind of, you know, everything just builds, you know, once you get that little bit of experience and people start to know you, the, the universe just works in, you know, mysterious ways and you, you know, you sure get opportunities, well. you know, with, with BPI, that was, I think my next one, I had found out from looking at the convention pro. So this was in 2016 when I joined GDUI and when I became a, an ACB member. Um, and then 2017 was when I uh, started serving on the GDUI board. And so, you know, I looked at the convention program and I thought, oh, here's this group. They're doing these cool, you know, yoga things and, you know, the mind body stuff. And I love that kind of stuff. So I was like, what are these folks all about? You know, I'd been an, um, an ally in, in the um, what was called the Gay Straight Alliance while I was an undergrad and such. And so, I, you know, decided let's check out this group. And then, you know, again, kind of word got around that I had this finance background and I was asked if I would be um, interim treasurer uh, with BPI when the when the um, then treasurer had to step aside and you know so that kind of started happening and um, I that was in oh gosh I think it was March or so of 2018 when that started um, in the meantime I had also joined I was looking you know at the various ACB um, special interest affiliates and looked at bits and I had actually done a pre I never I never even thought of it as you know ACB and bits at the time because I hadn't joined but I had done a presentation for them uh, back when I was in high school on a screen reader for a mobile platform which doesn't even exist anymore but when I joined bits the um I think she was vice president at the time she recognized my name from that presentation and so then she asked me oh well, would you did a good job with that presentation you know she was she was kind enough to think so and so offered me that I want to join the you know president presentations committee for bits and then you know again people finding out you have a financial background 
you know, they, uh, I got asked by the president, well, did I want, they were going to do an internal audit and did I want to chair that committee, you know? And so it, it all just kind of, you know, starts from this one place. And when, once people get to know who you are, the opportunities just kind of, um, you know, tend to come. And then, you know, even with, with ACB Next Generation, I, you know, showed up to that call. Uh, they, they were having organizational calls and I showed up to one and, you know, I said a couple of things that I, uh, you know, the, the president, you know, thought sounded interesting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she, I, I, you know, explained a bit about my background in ACB. And, you know, before I knew it, I, again, this whole bylaws legal background, I uh, ended up joining that committee and, um, you know, helping to, to put the, the bylaws in place. And then, um, you know, then, well, they needed a treasure and well, oh, you already have the finance experience, you know, what do you do? And so, <laughs> so, you know, one thing just kind of um, led to another. And so, you know, here I am uh, doing that now as well in terms of um, just got recently um, elected as, as interim treasurer there for ACV Next Gen. So, um, you know, and I, and so, you know, I think, I, I guess my, my takeaways would be that, you know, if you feel like you can, you know, add value and contribute somewhere, you know, take that initiative and, you know, put yourself out there and explain why you would, you know, be a good fit. And, you know, also just get to, you know, know people in the organization and show your enthusiasm and, you know, things will have um, a way of falling into place. And, you know, it's, it's not just for me, you know, yes, I'm, you know, contributing, but for me, it's really been great as well, because I've grown, you know, I've learned different things. I had, you know, in the whole, in this whole course of things, some, you know, people found out that uh, I had some experience with, uh, I guess, the technology side as I was, um, I don't know, assisting people with some technical questions here and there, what have you. And when I, you know, agreed that I would, you know, do some of the the website uh, management with BPI and, and GDUI, I never, you know, worked with the, uh, the, the uh, website management platform that we use, but it was like, okay, well, let's see, you know, I've learned all these other things. Let's see if I can, you know, tackle this one as well. And, you know, bylaws, I'd never, you know, looked, I'd never worked on drafting those before before and such. And so, you know, it's it's definitely been, it's worked both ways. I think for me, it's been a really great um, learning experience that has helped me to gain a lot of new skills um, as well. And then, and you know, they've transferred, you know, one time I, um, I was assisting BPI with some tax related matters and lo and behold, mm. the subject came up at work. Does anyone know how an, an organization applies for the tax exempt status? And I happened to have a clue, you know, so, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, everything just, uh, you know, happens for a reason. And um, I've really enjoyed, you know, my, my involvement. It's been, I've met, you know, such a great group of people and, you know, even one of, one of them on um, the, the president of guide dog users of New York that I mentioned, she actually was one of my references uh, for my job application um, for, for this job that I'm working at now. So, you know, as much as, you know, I've uh, been able to contribute, I've definitely gotten a lot out of it as well and have really been enjoying my time looking, you know, forward to, to you know, what comes next. You know, I, I again, just this whole, I, ACV at large, I, I showed up at the International Relations Committee table at convention last year and um, Dan Spoon happened to be there. He's now ACV president, started talking with him about how I'm from Bosnia and I'm interested and so on. And, you know, he asked me to join when the committee appointment time came around and such. And now, and then he learned, you know, people learned I um, through moderating the um, 
the caucus, the GDUI and BPI uh, caucuses, uh, you know, being the Zoom moderator for that, people saw that I had some familiarity with Zoom. And then they asked me to join and be part of this group that, you know, facilitates convention. So, you know, again, it's kind of just like this snowball effect, you know, you put a bit of initiative out there and start to, uh, you know, meet people and, and show both your passion and where your skills are. And, you know, things will just fall into place. So if anyone is keeping tally out there, that's (laughs) eight. Count them eight special interests or committees that Maria holds a position of note for, you know, three of them being treasurer. Um, You you know, you mentioned multiple times, and and I can't thank you enough for the energy. Um, You mentioned, you know, the word enthusiasm, and you mentioned, you know, being basically being at the right place at the right time. And luck meets preparation, you know, is is definitely something that I thoroughly, thoroughly believe in. But if you don't have if you don't have the passion and the drive behind it to take that luck and that preparation and make the most of it, you know, there's a lot of squandered opportunities out there. I I know you were listening to the last segment and Judy and Jeff did a great job of, of basically giving their perspective on, you know, multi-generations, you know, the coming generations coming up and, and needing to have their place at the table, needing to have their voice, um, you know, incorporated into, into the organization at, you know, at a national level and, you know, or at a state leadership level as such and such and such. Can you give us your thoughts on, you know, our generation and the generation behind us and why it's so important for, for us to, to add our voice to ACB and more importantly for ACB to listen and unfold and encompass our voices? Sure. Well, I think that's a great question. And I think, you know, both generations can learn, you know, from each other. Um, And I I think, yeah, you know, I think, you know, from just a practical standpoint, you know, this, our, you know, younger generation is going to be the future leadership of ACB. And so I think, you know, it is important from a sustainability perspective to, um, you know, welcome and enfold this group. Um, But, you know, I also think, you know, there's, um, you know, this generation, uh, no matter what I say, I'm going to, you know, generalize. So with that disclaimer, but, you know, for instance, this generation is, um, generally, you know, say savvy, for instance, with social media or from the, you know, technical aspect. And, you know, I think the older generation can learn from us um, on that front. And also just from, you know, younger people, you know, someone as a, a student or a younger professional just starting out in their career, they might be having some struggles that either, you know, the older generation can, uh, you know, help them with something that they've been through. So to serve as this model of this will pass, you will get through this or they might be you know we might be having some challenges that the um the older generation, you know, didn't face. So it allows them to, you know, stay in the loop and such as well with topics that they may not have um, either considered or may have considered from more of a distance than they would have if they heard from the younger generation. And, you know, in turn, I think, you know, the younger generation um, hopefully gets a mentorship opportunity or even just an example, you know, to see, 
okay, this is, you know, this is leadership, you know, following through on commitments that you say you're going to, uh, you know, deliver on and, you know, asking for help if you need it or, you know, delegating tasks and such. So, you know, I think the younger generation can definitely um, learn those types of lessons from the older folks, uh, you know, the older generation um, as well. So I do think it goes, you know, both ways, but I think it is important, you know, from the old, from, from both sides, you know, to listen to each other. I think there might be a tendency from, you know, the older, again, everything generalizing, there's exceptions to, to all of this, but, you know, maybe someone from the older generation might hear some idea from the younger generation and they might, oh, that's not going to work. We try that and, you know, so on and so forth. Well, the situation might be a bit different now, or it might, you know, it might be or it might not be, but, you know, you have to consider what's being said on its merits, even though it sounds, you know, like a familiar, you know, idea from the past. And conversely, you know, the younger generation, instead of just, oh, those are, you know, the older, you know, people. People, what do they know that's not going to work now? You know, there needs to be that dialogue and listening from that side as well, because they do have experience and, you know, um, some ideas, if they've consistently seen that they don't work, you know, that might save you some, you know, painful, uh, you know, situations along the way to just, Bumps you know, knocks. skip yeah. doing something. Yeah. So I think I really yeah. do think, um, you know, it is important for um, both the older generation to be more welcoming of the younger generation and, and for the younger generation to also be um, you know, open to learning uh, for uh, from from the um, older generation as well. Um, but that being said, you know, I think it's important. There's, you know, the with the um, ACB Next Gen group. You know, certainly there's a student group, but you know, I think a lot of people, and we've heard. Um, you know, younger members feeling like they don't know, they have the enthusiasm, but they don't know where they might fit in uh, in ACB. You know, maybe they're not a student, but they're a younger person and they see, you know, all, all these other groups have a lot of, you know, older people and they might, you know, feel intimidated and such. And I think that's where, you know, ACB Next Gen comes in, you know, both as, uh, you know, having programming that's, you know, aimed at a younger audience where they can, you know, pe- people, it's uh, 40 and under who are the the at-large members, but there are people over 40 can be supporting members, certainly. Um, but, you know, where groups and meetings where people in in, in this age group can share their um, experiences, but also to, to be that bridge, you know, if you don't know where to go, well, look, there's this group of people who are in your age group who have come together. So look, there are younger people. It isn't just you. And then, you know, to serve as a bridge that, okay, you're joining us, but hey, look at all these other, you know, affiliates that we have have, um, you know, that we have that you can um, also join. So, you know, I I hope that this does, you know, bring younger people in and hopes and I hope that it um, helps to make to to change the perception that, you know, we certainly are welcoming to the to the younger group. And, and, you know, and I'd like to, again, like I said, both ways, I hope that, you know, the older gender, you know, I when I wrote my mail to, you know, that there were, you know, people older than me who were, you know, getting my mail about joining the the GDUI committees and such, you know, and luckily, they didn't say, oh, they're that younger, you know, millennials, they're lazy, they don't do anything, they feel entitled, you know, whatever the stereotypes are, right, of millennials. Luckily, they, you know, said, okay, well she sounds you know sincere let's let's give her a chance so you know again i i feel that it um that it goes both ways but um i definitely think it is great from a a younger membership recruitment standpoint that we have the next gen because i think it is the first you know formal affiliate like this in a blindness consumer organization for people of this age group um and i hope that it helps to underscore the um you know the perception and the reality that um, acb welcomes younger people 
Well, in keeping with this with this topic of conversation, I, I first want to tell a small little story. I was on one of the membership coordinators, formerly known as Van Winkle, Cindy Hollis's calls, and there was discussion about things re- revolving around COVID, and the discussion came up about gas lines in the 70s, and, and there was a lot of information that was shared back and forth, and, and I, I remember thinking to myself, you know, if these conversations were happening happening more. Um, and of course the community calls exploded, but sure. that's, yes. you know, <laughs> that's Absolutely. That the moment. Um, but you know, if we were having these, these conversations more, we, we're all learning from each other. These yeah. are some new ideas that, that us, our generation and the one behind us, because, you know, you know, we're relatively close in age, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, and then these generations above us who walk the path and who, you know, yeah. sometimes cut down branches and, and, you know, had to rebuild, you know, portions of the path, you know, that experience. Absolutely. absolutely. So in keeping with, with the tone of the conversation, I'm going to shout out again to uh, the membership coordinator, formerly known as <laughs> she's yes. now Cindy Hollis. Oh, um, she's done an amazing job of corralling youthful energy. You are part of yet another initiative. <laughs> so we were at eight before, I guess we're going to go to nine. I don't know. By the end of this call, we might be in double digits. Um, <laughs> you are also working behind the scenes at convention in, um, I don't know, does Cindy call it her squad? What? What are you guys? You know, I don't know if we actually have a name yet. So that might be something for uh, her to work. I know she has the posse with her membership volunteers. I don't think we have a cool name like that yet. We have a uh, our little list is called the Zoom trainers, but um, that's that's not quite what we're doing. We're more the, the facilitators. Um, but yeah, for, first of all, so yes, definitely huge shout out to Cindy. And I've heard, I think I was on a Tuesday topics call that she was on. Um, I was listening to it and a younger person uh, got on and said, you you know, I'm interested, but I don't know what to do. And, you know, she came right out and said, call me and I will find something for you to do. So, you know, again, just fostering those and definitely those connections um, and bringing people to the group. And it's really amazing to see these uh, community calls and the community group and just the so much of more connection that everyone feels with the national um, organization and between conventions. Um, it's it's definitely amazing. Um, so, uh, so yeah, for a convention where, you know, well, we've, we've been facilitating the um, community calls as well. And that's been, you know, good, exp- again, learning new things based on the calls that we attend but you know i also think it's good it's good practice um for uh the convention and so uh right now what we're what we've been doing is you know divvying up uh who is going to do what in terms of zoom facilitating uh, for the convention meaning handling the you know raised hands and uh starting the recording and um you know, making sure that the uh, the technical Zoom side runs uh, as smoothly as possible. So um, I don't know how many. I don't want to say a number because I feel like I'm going to leave something out. But it's it's a double digits number there. <laughs> so I'm definitely going to throw my my uh, suggestion for a name in the ring. Maybe you guys could call yourselves the Zoom Boom Squad. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it rhymes and everything. Very nice. <laughs> so. You know, I'm going to, I'm just going to go on the, you know, on the organizational leadership role. One more question. And then we want to get to know Maria a little bit behind the, 
you know, all of the financial statements, <laughs> bank accounts, et cetera, et cetera. But you, you work in finance all day, you come home and you start looking at more at spreadsheets, and bank accounts, <laughs> yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I mean, at this point, uh, you know, do you dream numbers? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you, how do you keep it all organized? You know, I think it's very much um, keeping focused on the, you know, present task that I'm doing. You know, I have the organization, you know, that's the work, you know, computer over there. That's work things. This is the ACB. I have a lot of different folders in my, you know, OneDrive for the different groups. And, you know, it's just, I have to say to myself, okay, I'm going to focus on this right now. I'm going to do the BPI one and, you know, don't, don't think about the others. Um, and, you know, I think, I, I think I have dreamed <laughs> sometimes about uh, financial statements, but, you know, I have to keep the, the kind of the big picture, right? If I start to get like, oh, this is, you know, I'm, I'm feeling bogged down, um, either, you know, take a, a break or, you know, if I have to do it, then, you know, remind myself, what is the purpose behind this? What is this helping to accomplish? You know, what value does this this ad and, you know, thinking about it, taking that 30,000, if you will, foot view, you know, yes, the detail is what's this next line item, but the big picture view is this is going to help everyone to be on the same page with the financial state of set, you know, whichever, um, organization it is, which is obviously hugely, you know, critical. So, you know, to kind of bring myself to that level that, you know, this is important, um, and that helps as well to keep going. But, um, so yeah, definitely I, I focus on one thing at a, you know, time with them, depending on which one I need to do. And so, um, you know, that, that helps, but, but yes, sometimes I do have to, you know, remind myself, okay, this is the, you know, this is the report format for this group. And this is the one for this group. So again, it's just kind of keeping, make, making sure I stay in the, you know, relevant organizations folder. And I'm looking at, you know, prior examples if I need to, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, definitely organization and kind of keeping some perspective and such helps as well. So we have a few more minutes uh, before we move on to a really important conversation with Claire Stanley. But, you know, one of the elephants in the room for our community is that horrible number that we hear very often, 70 percent, 30 percent. And, you you know, we're not going to talk about your specific role in New York State, but you have a pretty impressive career path going for yourself. Um, You know, I'm not going to ask a specific question. What I'm going to say is. Those horrible numbers, and you are not only, you know, striving, you're thriving. So what do you speak to, to those out there that are looking for work or that may feel so um, downtrodden that they don't even want to look anymore? Sure. Which, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great, that's a great question. You know, those numbers, I mean, they scared me. I remember in my MBA, uh, my first year appointment with a career counselor and they asked me what scares you. And I literally came out and said, there's a 60 to 70% unemployment rate among working age blind people in this country. And that really scares me. And so that was just my whole, you know, how am I ever going to get past that? And so I, I know what that's like. And, you know, it took a year between, um, my finishing grad school and my beginning this job. So, you know, what I would definitely say is that no matter how first you know no matter how bleak it may look you will get through it and you it it will you know work out in some way or other i can't say how long that'll take but it will and now that being said you know i would definitely you know say to people um 
you know, to do what they can in terms of, uh, you know, putting themselves out there and uh, making their, you know, skills and talents known, you know, whether that is saying to people, you know, that you're looking for a job because you never know who might know someone. My the, my whole process of interviewing for uh, my current uh, organization started because my loss, one of my professors in the law school side liked my work and he was on the board of this um, of this uh, uh public authority and he you know asked me if I happen to be interested in such and so um you just never know who's going to be able to give you some assistance and, and take the chance on you so you know be your best in all scenarios and you know see if you can find ways as I you know I mentioned volunteering earlier you know that's huge if you're able to put into that gap year that you were you know using those types of skills or any other kind of transferable skills um in a, a volunteer position that is huge or if you're able to um you know if it's something that's uh, suitable to you know writing a blog about you know now there's you know social media it's so easy to get you know your content out and ask people you know to share it and stuff start you know putting that um putting that out there you know i know um it's entrepreneurship isn't for everyone but i think i saw some statistic that the amount of blind business owners was nearly twice i think it was like eight percent was the general population and i think it was 14 or 15 percent in the blindness community i think this is a statistic that i i think it was from a couple of years back from the um hadley institute they have their their entrepreneurship initiative yeah and you know that a lot of that is people not being able to find jobs and so you know going out on their own and and such so you know um is there someone? Okay. Um, so, you know, so I would definitely say to as, as hard as it is to, you know, try and remember that, you know, you something again, like Anthony, what you were saying about luck and, and preparation and such and being in the right place at the right time, you know, that it will all, uh, you know, come together in some way. So just, you know, try and put yourself um, out there, both that you're, you know, you as a person that you're looking and your skills, and then just, you know, do a lot of be be comfortable too in your own, you know, skin as a blind person. You know, when I went to do my interview, I had my laptop, so I was ready to show how I was, you know, accomplish a task with a screen reader, and I was very open and say said, you know, if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. And oh, I think part of my value proposition is actually my blindness because it's enabled me to be a better problem solver and to have a more diverse perspective because I'm gaining information through alternate senses and some of the experiences I've had in the journey I've had um, from being blind that have, you know, assisted me. So, you know, if you embrace it and if you come out sounding like you're very comfortable with it and that you um, can, you know, put it in a positive, you know, frame of mind and you show up to, to the job interview and you are very, you know, you know what you need and you can ask for what you need and such, you know, I think that goes a long way as well in terms of um you know helping people to feel you know more comfortable with you of course you know not everything is in your control but um you know i would say definitely try and um you know put yourself out there in in terms of your your work and in yourself and be comfortable and such in your own shoes and you know look for opportunities slow and steady wins the the race you know keep at it maybe you're just applying for one or two a day if you're starting to feeling you know discouraged but you know take a little break if you need to take a week off and such but you know then come back to it it's um it's it can be definitely a hard road but um you know i'd say to anyone out there that you know you will you will get through it and um, something will work out that was meant to happen for you. After convention, I definitely want to do a few shows centered on like employment roundtables. So I hope you will come back and join us. Oh, sure. Kayla, I'd love to. 
before I ask my final question of Maria, is anybody out there with a hand raised with a question for Maria? Yeah, it looks like we have a caller in from New York. They've got a New York area code. Oh, they, ah. they just left. Oh. <laughs> Oops. Anyone else? Take them away. Nope. I drove that's, them that's away. Out. All right, Maria. So I'm going to ask you one final question in a getting to know you kind of mode. All right. That little, that little five-year-old Maria, when she first got here, if she encountered this Maria, well, I'm not going to disclose her age or anything, <laughs> but post-grad, working, ACB Next Gen, you know, at large yeah. member. There we go. <laughs> what do you think that little girl would have asked you? And what would you? how would you answer it? Oh, my goodness. Wow. Um, gosh, you know, I think she would have asked me, you know, Am I going to be okay? You know, because it was so scary. You know, I didn't speak English when we came, you know, much less anything else. I didn't know anything about blindness skills. And I think, you know, as, as much as you don't think about things, you know, when you're when you're little, I think there's just so much of this unknown, you know. And so um, I think definitely I remember, you know, in, in school, it was it was initially quite hard to fit in and such with, with the cultural aspect as well as the blindness. And so, you know, I had a bit of a tough time. So I think she would ask if things would be okay. And I would love to very much tell her that not only will they be okay, but they will be absolutely fabulous. And they will be just the way that they were supposed to be. And you are absolutely <laughs> fabulous. I couldn't think of better words to say. Thank you so much for coming onto the show today. And I'm most definitely going to have you back. I'm coming back after this break with Claire Stanley. We're going to be talking about the Affordable Care Act and the CARES Act and the difference between the two. Um, please feel free to stick around. Thank you again so much, Maria Christich, treasurer and ACB board member, BP, um, excuse me, BPI and Next Gen board member. And my God, I can't, I can't, I can't list all the titles. <laughs> we heard them all. Thank you so much for coming. Stick around. I will be right back with the incredibly knowledgeable and very approachable Miss Claire Stanley. Be right back. The Braille Revival League is a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind dedicated to the promotion of that mode of communication that makes blind people literate. On Wednesday, our joint session with Library Users of America begins at 1.30 with a chance to ask Erin Jones questions about her life as a talking book narrator. At 3 o'clock, we will explore the new and exciting features of BARD and BARD Express from the National Library Service. On Thursday, July 9th, we will host a panel on the future of Braille at 1.30. And at 3 o'clock, Brian McDonald from the National Braille Press will discuss what's new and exciting at this important institution. Please join us. On Monday, July 6th at 1.30, Library Users of America will hold its first session. Karen Kenninger, Director of the National Library Service, will be there for a more extended discussion of the issues she raised during the general session and to answer your questions. At 3 o'clock, in One Book, One ACB, we will be discussing the book Flying Blind by Lou Brigante, B-R-I-G-A-N-T-E. Read it on Bard in advance if you can. On Wednesday, May 8th, Erin Jones will tell us more about her life as a talking book narrator at 1.30, and at 3 o'clock, we will look at the exciting new features in BARD and BARD Express from the National Library Service. You'll join us for all our sessions, won't you? 
And we are back, Sunday edition. In that break, you heard the dulcet tones of past president and bylaws guru, resolutions guru, friend Paul Edwards. So I hope you guys will check out those events that he listed. Convention is just about a week away. Everybody is excited. Let me remind you one more time. If you have not actually registered for the convention, you can absolutely absolutely experience it through acb radio on the various platforms but if you'd like to participate and believe me unlike a lot of other virtual conventions out there there are a plethora of opportunities for you to actually experience and participate in the events being held registration will reopen on july 2nd but now it's time for happenings and i have a previous guest returning she is the absolutely fabulous to borrow words from my previous guest maria the absolutely fabulous claire stanley good morning or good afternoon claire thank you so much for joining me again Good morning or afternoon, where wherever we're coming at you from. <laughs> I have to say, speaking after Maria just seems unfair because she's a complete rock star. So I hope I, uh, you know, I, I know I pale in comparison, but I hope everybody will take me regardless. <laughs> well, you don't pale in comparison to anything. You're pretty much a rock star of your oh. own. <laughs> You've got that little rock star beside you. Um, and I remember asking if she's been recognized. So, um. How's Tulane real quick before we dive into things? Tulane is great. She is uh, sitting on the floor right next to me, um, curled up in a nice little cinnamon bun roll and uh, is doing great. <laughs> so, yeah. Was she happy to get back into the office? She was ecstatic to get back into the office. Uh, I met Sharon Lovering, our awesome editor of the Braille Forum. And uh, I met her at the bus stop because I had to take a different route to get into the office because of COVID. And uh, so I, I met Sharon at the bus stop and I, I, of course, didn't know Sharon was there yet. And all of a sudden, Tulane just went crazy. And it was because she saw Sharon and went, Mom, 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 it's our friend. So, yeah, <laughs> she was very excited. <laughs> well, as much as I would love to dive into more personal conversation, and we'll be back with you again on this show at some point, let's dive right into the topic of conversation today. The current administration has pulled another curveball out of their... Um, arsenal, let's say, <laughs> and uh, filed some stuff about the Affordable Cares Act, which in my opinion, and as the disclaimer at the top of the show says, these are my opinions and my opinions alone, but the absolute worst time in the history of our country or the history of this current administration that you could <laughs> look to pull the rug out from millions of Americans who are already suffering due to COVID and mm -hmm. decisions of this administration thus far. Can you tell us what exactly is the filing and why is it so important that we keep a focus and pay attention to exactly what's going on? Sure. So what's going on is that Trump and his administration are challenging via the Supreme Court, the Affordable Care Act again. And I say again, because we know this is not the first time that he's done it. He's tried to come at the ACA multiple times to find it um, unconstitutional. He's be I shouldn't even say unconstitutional because he's tried multiple different ways to just eliminate uh, the ACA. Um, but in this respect, he is trying to say that 
um, the Affordable Care Act um, violate, violates a tax clause. Um, and I can step back and explain a little bit, but in doing so, he's trying to invalidate um, the ACA and get rid of it, essentially. Um, so I'll get a little legalese technical for a second. I hope that's okay. Um, but under the original Affordable Care Act during the Obama administration, administration um, in the first draft, so to speak, we had something called the individual mandate. And the individual mandate, you might not know the term, but we're all familiar with it. Basically, what it said was all Americans had to have insurance. And so if you didn't have some form of insurance, you had to pay a fee, like a penalty, I'll call it. And that's the individual mandate. Well, we all know that... I'm embarrassed to say I don't know what year it was, but in the recent past, um, the the courts found that the individual mandate um, was impermissible. And so now, if you don't have insurance, you don't pay the individual mandate. So that's no longer a thing. You're, you're not p- penalized financially. But the uh, Trump administration is using that now as a hook to try to legally um, uh, turn upside down the the ACA. So basically, they're saying that the um, Affordable Care Act was based off of some tax bases. And I wish we still had Maria on because I'm sure she could explain the tax bases far better than I could. But basically, they're saying that if the, the law was written off the idea of tax code, that if there's no longer a tax penalty, because that's what it was, a tax penalty, the individual mandate doesn't exist anymore, so there's no tax penalty, and thus you can't say that this law has any more standing. So that's basically the legalese argument in a very small nutshell that they're trying to use to topple over the Affordable Care Act. Thank you. Um, you know, you you explained it so much better than I ever could. Um, so there are two pressing questions that I know everyone wants me to ask, and I'm going to ask them. And I know you can't you can't give us definitive answers, but what's the likelihood that we'll hear a decision that actually supports? this administration and if that happens how what happens to the people that this is that this is their healthcare lifeline so i'll answer the first part the first so the first part what's the likelihood you know i think it's so up in the air and it you know i say this because if you would have asked me even just a few weeks ago what i would what i would think i'd say oh well the court is very much a stacked toward a favorable trump administration and so as a result you know there's a very very strong likelihood that um trump is going to get his his way <laughs> for lack of a better way of saying it he's a little kid and he's going to get his way um that's probably what i would have said even just a few weeks ago um but we saw the supreme court ruling that came out I apologize. I don't even know how many weeks ago now, um, but it was the employment case that came out for um, LGBT rights. Um, And that very much so was the opposite of what people anticipated, even with very conservative uh, Supreme Court justices like uh, Neil Gorsuch. So as a result, you know, I kind of say never say never. (laughs) You really don't know. So if we're getting very technical textbook, you know, I remember back in law school, your very technical textbook definition of what a conservative judge is versus, you know, we call them textualists versus um, social socialist sides and those kinds of things. Yeah, it's, it doesn't look good. But at the same time, I would not be, you know, scared because we just don't know. It's so, so unforeseen which way the, the justices are going to go. So long, long answer to say, 
I just don't know. (laughs) Before you actually answer the second question, I'd like to ask, I've seen certain opinions about that decision and also about the DACA decision, uh, the Dreamer decision. And in the Dreamer decision, you know, a lot of people feel, myself included, that the decision wasn't actually, hey, you can't do this, but for lack of a better way of putting it, you're too stupid to have come to us to with the right way of not doing it. Is there any way that this filing falls under that category? You know, that's that's definitely um, a possibility. I, I heard the exact same thing that you heard, that a lot of people did say, yeah, if your argument was better based off of a different hook, that you could have been successful. I heard that exact same thing. Um, so that's definitely a possibility. I am not very, you know, deep involved with the reading of this case. I'm, I'm now intrigued to go and read the case uh, law more carefully to know. So based off the fact that I haven't read the cases, you know, with the fine tooth comb or anything like that, I don't want to, I can't say either which way if that's, that's possible, but just based, yeah, but just based off of what we've seen with Trump. I'm not going to say that's not a likelihood because that is something we've we've seen with his administration. So, but I, I just can't say. So, and what happens to the millions of Americans, Americans, and not more importantly, but more um, focused, what happens to those of us who rely on the Affordable Care Act if a Trump favored decision were to be handed down? It could be terrifying. Um, I was looking online and uh, anybody can please correct me if I'm wrong. I think the number I saw was that 20 million Americans could instantly lose um, medical insurance. And hello, (laughs) we're in the COVID crisis, which is a medical issue. So now more than ever, now more than ever, people need medical insurance. So it's, you know, you're literally in the storm and saying, oh, you know, we don't need to deal with this right now. Um, another really great point that I've heard people talk about um, is one of the major aspects of the Affordable Care Act that we all had heard of and I was a huge proponent for was um, saying that people with um, pre-existing conditions um, have to be covered. I know that was a huge fear for me uh-huh. for years because and I think most of us can agree with our with our visual impairment usually comes some kind of pre-existing medical <laughs> condition. Um, so hello, we don't want to be denied medical insurance because we have a pre-existing um, health condition. Well, COVID-19 is now potentially going to be seen as a pre-existing condition. You know, we we hear doctors talk on the news all the time that we don't know what the long-term medical impact COVID-19 is going to have on people's health. People could have all kinds of different things. And so now if the Affordable Care Act is overturned, our doctor is going to have the argument, oh, you had COVID-19 back in 2020. Nope, not covering you. That could have huge, terrifying implications. So it's it's pretty scary even just in where we are here in 2020 to think um, about what could happen to a lot of Americans who need their health care. So you and I behind the scenes jokingly um, ended up in a conversation uh, about the Affordable Cares Act versus the CARES Act, which is <laughs> equally or maybe right currently a little bit more important Um what is the what is the difference for those who don't who kind of confuse them? What's the difference between the two? And where do we stand right now with the CARES Act? Uh, and I'll throw a third question in since I love the way you speak. Um, what's the likelihood that there'll be another stimulus burst through the CARES Act? Okay, take it away, Claire. <laughs> 
So yeah, so the CARES Act, um, Anthony and I joked because there was a little bit of like, which one are we talking about? Um, The CARES Act was the stimulus package that came out. We call a lot of people called it the third stimulus package or COVID three was often bandied about as a short term, shorthand term for it. Um, And that did a lot of, in my opinion, some great things. It definitely wasn't the end all be all of tackling COVID, but it definitely did some great things. It's just stimulus package that did things like sent most of us that $1,200 check that I know I was thankful for. Um, It did the small business loans program for a lot of small businesses so they could have funding in the midst of losing business because of COVID. Um, It did quite a few things for education to make sure that, you know, schools had the things they need. So it had all kinds of, I I mean, I could talk all day about the different aspects, but it did did a lot of great things. But it definitely wasn't the end-all be-all. Um, there's a lot more to do. So that that was COVID-3. And now we were supposed to be moving on to COVID-4. I want to say COVID-3 was passed maybe way back in late March, early April. And then yeah. there was all this talk about getting onto stimulus four, stimulus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, I had even... I'm very fortunate. One part of my job that I love is the advocacy and outreach specialist is my interaction with Congress. So I had quite a few, what usually would be in-person meetings on the cat on hit on the Hill, but have now become virtual phone calls. And so I had quite a few phone call uh, meetings with congressional staffers who said, Oh, I bet there's going to be something like five to eight different stimulus packages. That's what people were guessing and anticipating, which I, I laugh at now because here we are at, at COVID for the four stimulus package and we are stuck. Um, so if it's going to, if there are going to be five to eight, we'll see how long it takes to get uh, five, eight, five, six, seven, eight, and so on. Um, so that's kind of where we are. Um, the fourth stimulus package is what we people are calling the HEROES Act is the the affectionate term that they're using. Um, It was passed in the house, I believe it was. Um, All kinds of very exciting and very helpful ideas, but it's become extremely partisan at this point. And people believe that the the, um, draft out there that was passed on one side of Congress is probably not going to go anywhere. Now that's the, that's the pessimistic perspective, but you know, we're realistic people. We know that the partisanship is, or I should say bipartisanship because it's, you know, one party, um, won't work with the other party. So it's, it's hard to tell where we'll go or if it'll, um, get any steam. But at this point, what we're in, the end of June and things still haven't moved. That's a lot later than any of us ever anticipated. What are, um, what are the most uh, salient sticking points and what are a few of the points that you think could be agreed upon to, you know, if they were to restructure it, to get it, to get it passed? That's a good question. Um, I, I don't know too much of the nuts and bolts of Heroes Act. We haven't been looking into it too much. Um, I can talk about some of the things that we as, at ACB are really interested in. Um, There's some um, language out there about voting access. That's something that I'm sure you guys know if you read dots and dashes or listen to the podcast or things like that. You know that. Or listen to Sunday edition. Yeah, or thank you, or Sunday edition. (laughs) Um, Clark and I are working really hard on because absent accessible absentee ballots has always been something the blind community has been passionate about and wants accessibility but COVID-19 has just accelerated that need because I either have to tell a sighted person please fill out my paper ballot 
which causes me to have to reveal who I want to vote for, or I have to take my, you know, take the risk of my health and go down to the polling place where other sided people don't have to do that. Um, so anyway, the uh, stimulus for package does have some language on making um, accessible voting. It's not the most in depth. We'd always love for it to go you know, further and have more stronger language, I should say. But at this point, any language is positive language. So that um, has been potentially included in the four stimulus package. Um, we've also been talking about more funding for education in the four stimulus package, which is something we're very much so behind. Of course, our one frustration always is that the language doesn't go specific enough to explain where education funding should go for special ed mm. students. Um, always the problem, right? They're like, oh, we'll mm. fund education, period. And we're like, but it needs to be more specific so the special ed kids don't fall between the cracks. Um, well, there's definitely talk in the HEROES Act about that as well. Um, more fun, There's been talk, um, who knows if it'll happen, but there has been talk about um, a second recovery rebate for Americans. That's You might hear people call the $1,200 check either the recovery rebate or the economic intact payment, the EIP. Um, so there, <laughs> there's been talk about another round of um, recovery rebates. Um, so those are some of the big ones. We also had been talking about getting the um, the FAST Act, as we call it, or the Transportation right. Act in. Um, for those of you who went to the leadership conference in February, thanks for coming. That's one of ACB's <laughs> imperatives, um, and that's dealing with more accessibility for surface transportation work. Um, so things like accessible intersections, um, more funding for paratransit and alternatives to paratransit, things like that. And it has to be passed. It, it runs out in five years. So it has to be passed by late September, or I should say the last day of September. So there is a lot of talk about just plopping that right into the stimulus package and kind of saying, oh, well, we have to do it. So we'll just drop it on in there. So there's talk about that going into the fourth stimulus package as well. Um, but that's to be seen as well. So yeah, those are just a few different aspects of things that we've heard might fall into the stimulus package. Um, but I must say, I, I like to think I'm an optimistic person, but I'm getting a little pessimistic with this four stimulus package because it's just take, taking so darn long. And this, you know, you know, Democrats versus Republicans, I think they're all guilty that people just keep stalling each other. And, you know, we disagree with each other. So things just move so slowly. So. So I think, you know, we as ACB members know that you and Clark are extremely approachable. And if and when you can answer any questions or offer any advice or help, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that you are absolutely there, just a phone call away in the national office. But um, let's go with Affordable Cares Act first and then um, the CARES slash Heroes Stimulus Acts. Um, what are some trusted resources that you would suggest the listeners can go to if they if they want to learn more, if they have questions, et cetera, et cetera? Those are really good questions. Um, so the Affordable Care Act, I don't have too many great links off the top of my head because it was a little bit before my time at ACB. Um, but I know of a couple of great organizations that we work with on a regular basis um, that could give some great research for those. Um, I am blanking on the names of them. So is it okay if I shoot you over some links that you can post? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And I will post them. 
Uh, We are really fortunate at ACB to work in a coalition called the Consortium of Citizens with Disabilities, and it has representatives from all kinds of different disability advocacy groups. And so within that group of organizations, we have some who focus very heavily on healthcare, um, which I am forever thankful for because healthcare is quite a maze, a labyrinth of um, obstacles to go through. So we have some great healthcare experts in in the midst of that group. So I'll get some um, ACA links from them that we can share with everybody. And it's very much a state by state um, issue as well, too. Yeah, yes. Yes, very much so. Um, All right. And And for the the two CARES Acts, uh, the CARES and HEROES Act? Yep. Um, Those... Oh, sorry. Uh, those we can um, also share on the, uh, the the link to some of the different language. We're constant. We are fortunate to constantly get the different versions of them that come out. But I see that as both a pro and a con because sometimes you start swimming in the different versions that have come out. Um, but we always have access to the newest versions, so we can post those up for people as well. And so they, we would love for everybody to just read through them and give Clark and myself any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about what they think about those so we can make sure that those are posted as well. Um, and I'll make sure we get a couple links to some literature that's been posted on the CARES Act. Obviously, there's not too much out there on the HEROES Act yet because it's just this idea, basically. Um, but as far as the CARES Act, there has been some literature that's been drafted on what things look like and what people need to do. So I'll make sure we get um, some links up to some literature as well for you guys on what what's the CARES Act is, is doing at this point. And I know I would never ask to really put any more work on your plate, but is there a bullet point kind of reference that we could look at? Or, do, you know, have you and Clark drafted anything up amongst yourselves that could be shared with the listeners if they so, you know, wish to, to kind of get it in bullet point form? We don't have anything like that right now for all aspects of the CARES Act. But for instance, we've done it for different smaller aspects that have been applicable. So for instance, uh, the recovery rebate, we've had many different questions and a lot of callers who didn't receive their stimulus stimulus mm-hmm. package. Um, so we have drafted up a few different things on that because um, it's so frustrating. So those that we have drafted up, I can definitely get to you guys. Um, the, the bill uh, or... I guess I should say the act because it's passed as a whole. We don't have something fully include like inclusive of everything, um, but we'd be happy to, you know, as we chip away at it, if there are areas that are of interest and importance and concern for people, we'd be happy to go through and do that. So it's at this point, it's kind of, on an as requested basis, you know, if you say I work in education and I really need to know what this looks like, we'd be happy to, to dig deeper into that. But as, as a whole, it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages. So no, we don't have anything that that looks at the entire thing. Well, as I mentioned, Claire and Clark are extremely approachable. They're happy to offer, you know, assistance and or knowledge and or resources to go to. So first and foremost, you know, if you have a specific ask, a specific need, you know, they are very approachable. Uh, Caleb, I think we may have a question or two. Is there anyone waiting? Uh, Lori, Lori Scharf came in. My former state president, Lori. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. What, um, what so would you like to talk about currently. today? Lori, please unmute. 
Lori, by the way, will be a future guest in my next couples show, which will be sometime after convention. There'll be two weeks break for Sunday edition, and then I'll be back fast and furious with some great shows. Lori, are you unmuted yet? I'll plug anywhere I can. (laughs) All right. Clara, while we're waiting for Lori, um, can you tell us a little bit, give us a little tease about the advocacy boot camp that you and Clark are running at convention? Perfect segue. I was about to ask if I could make a plug. So great minds in <laughs> Yes. So the uh, advocacy boot camp, as we call it, and all the years I've been at Ace on staff at ACB, we've done it, which, so this is my third summer. A first year I did it with Tony and then last year with Clark and now Clark again this year. But I think that's something ACB has done for many years because we think it's very important is the advocacy boot camp. And we take a couple of hours to get those who are interested in a room and just talk about first, what is advocacy? Um, you know, what's, what's, what is it? How do you define it? And what does it look like? Um, then we look at the different forms of advocacy models that we have here in the U.S. So what kind of different ways can you do it? Do you instantly call up a lawyer and file a lawsuit? Maybe that's not the right way to go. Maybe you should, you know, approach it in a different way. Um, So we look at different ways you can advocate both for one person as well as for an entire community of people. We also um, are doing some interactive hypotheticals because we always like to see people put into practice what we talk about. We also have a great panel of actual ACB members this year who are going to talk about their own lived experiences with challenges they faced, forms of discrimination because of their blindness and how they tackled those, how they advocated for themselves. And um, we also are very excited to potentially have a guest speaker this year. Um, I won't Mm. say who for sure because nothing is officially, officially, officially nailed down. But just as a teaser, there might be a great speaker this year so we're very excited um and you will get to spend two marvelous hours with me and clark i'm sorry clark has to be there but (laughs) (laughs) we'll have a great time we're really looking forward to it and it's in the prime time session this year it's from 7 30 to 9 30 on thursday the 9th um so right on east coast time and again we're really looking forward to people to participate you know it's one thing for us to to read some notes of what advocacy is, but I really enjoy having that interaction. So those hypothetical, um, you know, that we, the hypotheticals we'll do where participants can actually answer our questions. And then the panelists, um, I'll even do some name dropping for our panelists. We have Jim Kraut from Florida. We have um, Brooke Jostad from Colorado, um, Sheila Styron from Kansas City, and... Oh, Rebecca Bridges from Virginia. I apologize, Rebecca. So (laughs) we have a great panel of participants here to talk about all kinds of different advocacy realms. Well, Eric, don't punish Claire tomorrow morning if you're listening. (laughs) I heard my fellow ACB radio host, uh, you know, my brother in radio, Paul. Do you have a question for Claire? Paul, if you um, can unmute yourself or Lori, if you have unmuted yourself, please feel free to jump in. This is Lori. Welcome, Lori. Okay. I um I just wanted to say thank you, Claire, because there's a lot of stuff that was incorporated and people just don't understand the implications implications of different aspects of it. Um and I can actually send you stuff from Cornell if you want from their uh coronavirus program. 
um, just so sure. it might give you guys a little less work. And we, we never say no to additional uh, information. That we no, they've got some, some good resources up there. And um, I just want to say I thank you for, uh, for coming and, and discussing all the topics. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Lori. And I look forward to talking to you soon after convention. Paul, did you, were you unable to unmute yourself? Caleb, are there any other raised hands or questions waiting? I, I do not see any other. No, Anthony. All right, Claire. I know it is a long way away, but I know that you guys also, um, you know, work fast and furious. What might we expect for imperatives for leadership next year if the world, and we pray it does, leads in the direction where we can have an in-person leadership weekend? Uh, you, know, you know what I mean? You know, that's a great question. Um, usually not long after a convention. So in just a few weeks, we kind of start putting our feelers out for which imperatives are going to be applicable for 2021. Sounds strange to even say that year. We're how, how are we already going into 2021? Um, but the way we determine imperatives is by looking at what's really going on in the United States and what's really essential for the blind community at that time. Um, so I promise I'm not shrugging off the answer, but I'm saying this because we want to hear from you guys. Uh, we want to know what's really timely for the blind community. There's always, of course, issues that we have had our eye on. For instance, um, the... Um, the Medicare bill, the low vision Medicare bill. Um, it's something that's been an imperative for a couple of years. And sometimes I think people might think, oh, why are we doing that again? But we do it because it's so important. And as we all know, legislation tends to take a while. It chugs on slowly, but surely. So I can't say for sure that'll be an imperative, but so for instance, it's something that might continue on. Um, so that's one imperative we might see again. But again, there are things that we don't even know yet. And we want to get in from you guys. I have a feeling that COVID-19 has opened up the door to new imperatives we didn't even think about before. Um, so long story short, we're still determining, we're still going to see what goes on in the coming months because of COVID. But most importantly, let us know what you guys think. Uh, just as a reminder, they have to be nationwide issues. I know we hear a lot from people who say, you know, X is going on in Missouri. Can you please help us? And we love to help you, but it's not going to be a nationwide imperative because it needs to be something that impacts all Americans. But still, we want to hear from you guys because you guys are literally, literally the boots on the ground. So we want to hear from everybody if you guys see patterns of practices that need to be addressed. And time is an extremely cruel mistress. So can you let our <laughs> listeners know where they can reach you and Clark and the different avenues of ACB advocacy? Yep. Um, you can always reach us at the national office via the 1-800 number or just our straight number, 202-467-5081. You can always email us at the advocacy email address at advocacy at acb.org. Uh, feel free to reach out in any way. Literally, if you have connections with anybody in the national office, ping them and we'll get a hold of each other. Uh, please listen to the podcast that comes out each week, ACV Advocacy Update, because we're always talking about the different advocacy projects we're working on. And same, as, same goes with the podcast. If there's something you guys want us to talk about, let us know, because that's the venue we use to let members of ACV know what advocacy work we're doing and what's important. Um, yeah, so ping us an email, give us a phone call, 
reach out. We have now our new Facebook um, page. Feel free to, to write anything on the Facebook page and we'll have access to that. Um, literally send us pigeons or smoke signals. <laughs> we will make sure we get them. We want to interact with everybody. And look out for the ACB blog, which will be coming, which will have an advocacy thread all of its own. Okay, I'd like to thank Claire, Maria, Judy and Jeff, Lori for calling in. Sorry about the technical difficulties. And I will be back after convention. Everybody have a great convention and have a great rest of your Sunday. Thanks for joining me. You've been listening to Sunday Edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., Please email celebration AC. That's the word celebration with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you and let's brunch again next Sunday. 